Hello everyone, and this is Season 2, Episode 20 of Going Beyond Salvation, and this is your host, Jess Robinson. And we're continuing on in in the Book of Numbers, and, you know, we're going to continue on in, in, the, in this daily reading part of it with Numbers um, in, in 15. We jump into this this deal about the Sabbath breaker put to death, and... One of the things, and, and we'll also, you know, kind of jump into Korah and Dathan and Abiram. What ends up happening then to them? You know, we have this Sabbath breaker who ends up breaking the Sabbath and he dies for it. There was no atoning because he had deliberately sinned against the Lord. And, and many go, well, that's kind of harsh that he died. And you know, same way with Korah and, and Dathan and Byron, many, and I know like a lot of young believers are going, why was the punishment so hard? You know, you think about it today and it's like, yes, you know, there are people that work on, on a Sunday and why aren't they dying? You know, and, and, and yes, it is an, a very valid question. Why were, you know, some of these punishments so hard? you know, so harsh in that time. And I just kind of want to share that, you know, and I was wondering about that as myself, you know, and I started learning, um, kind of, it kind of became clear to me when I was reading the book of Acts. And, and when we get to the book of, of Acts, you know, we see Ananias and Sapphira and, you know, what happens to them and they die, you know, they, they held back, some of the money, you know, they sold a piece of land and they, they held back some of the money and then they gave the rest. And it wasn't that that was their sin. It was they had lied to the Lord and and then they die, you know, and people go, oh, my gosh, that is so harsh, you know, it is so scary, you know, and it's like, what? And it's not that, you know, God is, you know, a schizophrenic God and it's not that you know, you you think about it in this time. And when I was reading the book of Acts and I was taking my class and, and it, it explained it very well, you know, God, when it comes to judgment, God can move up a judgment whenever he can act upon it, whenever he wants, you know, we're, you know, he's not on our time frame, and you know, in the situation of Ananias and Sapphira, you know, the, the church was beginning to, to develop, you know, the church had been created and there was the believers and they were all taking care of each other because I think a lot of them, they ended up losing their jobs, you know, because they believed in Jesus, which was totally contra- contrary from what the, the, the Sanhedrin and the synagogues were believing and, so you, you essentially could lose your job because of your belief in that time. And so they were taking care of each other. And just as, you know, in that time, there was this happening, you know, this nation was being created. God had established his law. And, you know, and we see that there was rebellion that just had happened. And God was... You know, and we see that several times, you know, he reacts to the rebellion in that time with judgment because, 
one, you know, I, he moved, chose to move in those times and he chooses to move in these situations, especially with Ananias and Sapphira, because if, you know, like in the, in the situation of Ananias and Sapphira and in, in the book of Acts, if they would have been just left to, you know, if it would have been kind of just left alone, you know, it would have affected the credibility of the church, of the, of the believers. So it would have affected the credibility, especially if it would have been found out later. And so for them, you know, the Holy Spirit reveals to Peter, you know, what had happened. And, you know, God chose to act on that situation to, to protect the credibility and I think in a way that God was, you know, these punishments were so harsh and it was just, you know, God had to, to set a precedence that, that he was holy, that, you know, they were to obey, you know, because the punishment for deliberate sin was death and, and, you know, for sin period is death, you know, and, something like this, this, this person who was breaking the Sabbath was deliberately sinning in that time, you know? And so, you know, God chose to move in that time. And we see it as well with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, because he had to, to establish to these people that he is God and that, these aren't just words, you know, and to protect also, you know, his reputation, which, you know, God doesn't have to protect his reputation. He didn't have to defend himself in this situation. But we say also with Korah, Dathan and Abiram that, you know, in that situation, Korah and Dathan and Abiram, you know, they, they allow pride into their heart. And they, they were pretty much challenging Moses and Aaron, trying to gain power. Their heart was not set on the Lord. You know, and, and here's the thing about it. They were, they were part, you know, um, Korah was a Levite. He already had the Lord as, in, as, his, as his inheritance. What more does he need? But he wanted more, you know, and then you got Dathan and Abiram. They're from the tribe of Reuben, which was Jacob's firstborn son. But however, he was stripped of that title because, you know, he, he jumped in into bed with with Jacob's concubine practically. And yeah, you know, he he messed up on that. But they're they're wanting to they were challenging, saying and they were challenging Moses and Aaron saying, there's no way, you know, there's no way that Aaron is just the high priest. They were challenging that. And in essence, they were challenging God's word because Moses and Aaron, you know, they were going based off of God, what God had told them to do and how it was all set up. So essentially they were going against God. They were rebelling. <laughs> And, and God ends up moving in this miraculous way. And it just seems like, oh my gosh, that was really, really harsh. But no, you know, when you see Moses, Moses is stepping out in faith to prove to the people that, you know, 
He wasn't protecting his reputation. He was protecting God's reputation. And so you see this bold prayer saying, you know, if these guys die a natural death in it, then, then I, you know, then the Lord has not sent me. And then he just prays or he, he just says, you know what? But if I, you know, the Lord has sent me, the Lord's going to bring about something totally new and the earth is going to open its mouth and swallow them with everything that belongs to them, including their family, you know, including their family, their kids. And it happens. And it's sad, you know, it's sad that they're, you know, that the family also dies. We've talked about that. You know, we were talking about that in our Daniel Bible study, because when, you know, when with, especially with the story of, of Daniel in the lion's den and Daniel gets out of the lion's den and the people that had smeared Daniel, you know, they got thrown in the lion's den and not just them, but their family. And that's something to be said in, as a believer, because the thing about it is, is when you think about it in today's standards, you know, we have to be careful that, you know, if we're deliberately sinning against the Lord, not only, you know, and we think that, you know, you know, that it's not, if nobody sees it, it's going to harm them. Well, for one thing, God sees what you're doing all the time. And so if he's seeing you sinning, one, you're hurting God, you know, you're sinning against him and he sees it. And two, you are affecting somebody. You are affecting, you know, your spouse, your family, you know, your kids, your parents, those in your church, somebody that you're discipling. That does affect. And so you have to be careful, you know, with what you're doing, you know, because you don't know who you're going to take down with you. You know, you do see that when and when spiritual believers, you know, especially those who are pastors, evangelists, when they end up having a moral failing, you do see that some of those who, you know, were part of their church, you know, they, they do their, their foundation is, is shaken because it just seems like a shock to them. And so you have to be careful because you can affect somebody's eternal salvation that way. And so, you know, these, it was a harsh punishment, but, you know, God in this situation, especially with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, he had to show that, that Moses was sent by him. And Moses, you know, and we don't see Moses get very prideful. You know, he does rebuke him. He does rebuke him. And at which, you know, as a spiritual leader, spiritual leaders, especially pastors, they have that and evangelists and they have that right to when they do see deliberate sin, you know, it would be wrong of them not to tell you that that you are deliberately sinning, you know, it, it would not be right. And even if you don't realize that you're doing the wrong thing, they need to be there to tell you. 
You know, that's how it is. And and I also want to point out that in the story of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, it, it does, in, in, in regards to spiritual warfare and with the enemy, because we don't fight against flesh and blood. The enemy, and we see this and we can relate this to the church as well. The enemy, one of his tactics, especially with the church, is he likes to cause division within a church. And you see it today. And, and because, you know, you're dealing with people. People are people. You're not going to get along all the time. You're not going to see eye to eye on everything. And when you go through a church, you know, and, and especially brand new believers, you're going to start, you're not going to really notice it in the beginning, but you will notice it as you become a seasoned believer. You start getting in, you know, getting your, you know, taking your feet and getting them wet and getting them wet in, in this pond, you know, you're going to start seeing things happening, you know, and the thing, you know, the blind thing, you're, you're going to see that, you know, there's, and, and churches do split up over the stupidest things. There was, you know, I heard of somebody who, whose church split up because they couldn't agree with how you're supposed to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yes, it is true. I have heard about that. I heard it. Knew, knew the people who, you know, were involved in that. And they, they said it was really ridiculous that they split up. And, and yes, they're, you know, people, churches split up over a name change of a church. They split up because, well, you know, they didn't agree on the color of carpet when the carpet got changed out or when the walls got repainted, they didn't agree on the, how the walls were supposed to look. I mean, it, there's churches and, you know, those are the minute things, you know, and there's also, you know, debate with worship songs and, you know, how long a worship service is supposed to be, how long should the pastor preach, you know, should kids stay in for worship or should they be out in children's church and they do their own worship, you know, should they see their parents tithe, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's the enemy. The enemy likes to cause division. And we see that he's doing that in this story. He's bringing division and we see it as well. You know, even after the whole situation with Korah, the people are, are saying, you know, they're not convinced that that it's Moses and Aaron or that it was the Lord that did this. They're like, Oh, you know, Moses and Aaron, you killed the Lord's people. They saw them as the Lord's people and they were going to rebel. And the Lord ends up having enough and they get a wake up call, you know, and it was harsh, but the Lord had to, you know, establish that, Moses and Aaron were sent by him and these people were belling against the Lord and so we see that and we see that continually in in the body of Christ that churches are are splitting apart over just some of the ridiculous things and that's what the enemy wants to do because then you know on the outside world they see this church splitting up they're seeing people living offended because they, you know, are offended at the pastor for 
making this decision to, you know, be firm about how worship is supposed to be and, and not, and these other people, they leave and, you know, they're living in offense and, and, you know, and I've gone through it. I've gone through a church split, you know, and it was not fun because people that you did know personally and deeply that left, it hurts, but it hurt me the most to know what they were doing to my pastor. That was not right. You know, I've forgiven them and, you know, you know, they're in a better place. They've gone where they need to be spiritually. And, you know, our church is better off and we're growing and we're able to be, you know, who God called us to be. And, you know, that's just how it's supposed to be, you know, and, and I've come across those people that, that left and, you know, the, the thing the enemy wants you to do is to stay mad at them and, and treat them like dirt in front of unbelievers. I don't act like that way. I will say hi to them. I will ask them how they're doing. I will be the nicest person in the world. And it makes the enemy mad because, you know, the other, you know, people like, you know, and, and, and you know, people that see us out in public saying, huh, well, they're, they're being nice to each other, you know. That's, that's the thing about it, you know, and the enemy wants to cause division like that. He wants that kind of thing. He wants to see us or wants us to see each other as the enemy. And he's the enemy. He's the one that is the instigator. So when we get into this, you know, it's, and that's what the enemy does. But we see that Moses and Aaron, they stay strong and they seek the Lord and they let the Lord handle it. They don't try to handle it on their own. The Lord tells them what to do. And they're like, okay, we'll do it. And I think that's how we have to be too, you know, and, and we're going to see it, you know, and there's ways, you know, there's ways that a church can deal with problems, you know, because there are going to be people that do complain. There's all these different things. And we'll talk about that more when we get into the book of Acts, how that actually, you know, how you solve that, you know, those kind of problems. Because there is a process and we see it clearly done in, in the book of Acts with, in a situation that arises. And, you know, where there was some complaining and the apostles, you know, worked on it to a T and they... They averted an attack of the enemy and there's a way to do that. And, and so, you know, we see that, that the enemy, he's that type of people and he will attack leaders. He'll try to wipe out the leadership in, in church. And that's why I, I, you know, especially brand new believers, when you start going to a church, pray, pray for your pastor, take it only takes like five minutes, two to five minutes, even 30 seconds, you know, praying for the pastor, praying for his family, you know, praying for their health, praying for their finances, praying for, you know, their, their family, their health, you know, praying over them every day because they're out there on the front lines, you know, and they are, 
you know, attack by the enemy the hardest because they're doing the Lord's work, you know? And so I, I just, just strongly emphasize that you do that. So that's an essence, um, numbers. I do want to jump back and I know it was kind of jumping back and forth, but I just, that's how I felt the Holy Spirit leading me. There's a, a thing about tassels on garments and that was just pretty much a reminder for them to, as a reminder that, you know, who, who they belong to, you know, and, um, and we'll see that those tassels, those tassels show up again, which we saw in the book of Matthew when Jesus, you know, is rebuking the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. And he talks about the tassels that they were allowing these long tassels to flow and, you know, to show off that they were religious and it, it got turned around, you know, what was meant to between a, an Israelite believer, you know, who was to remind them of who their Lord is, you know, as a reminder, a personal reminder got turned around into like this religious tradition later on. And so I just kind of want to share that part and we're going to take a break and we're actually going to jump back into the book of Mark. And we are back and we're going into the book of Mark. We're, We're going to finish chapter 12 today. We jump into this, uh, you know, and we, we were talking about, you know, that the religious leaders were doing what they can to just mess with, you know, with Christ to cause him to miss, have a misstep and affect his reputation. I want you to notice, though, that Jesus doesn't defend himself. You know, he doesn't try to defend himself in a way, so. We continue on and in chapter 12 and in verse 28 and it's going about the the greatest commandment. And I don't know about this teacher of the law. I don't just seeing and, and nobody really knows the identity of this, this teacher of the law. Um, there's been speculation. Some think it's Nicodemus, which we meet Nicodemus in, in the book of John. Some think it's Nicodemus that was talking with Jesus in that time. Because Nicodemus, he he goes from, and we'll talk about Nicodemus a lot, his spiritual transformation. Um, he goes from being, you know, from, from being a fan to a follower. Just some of the things that, that he does. And so some people think this is Nicodemus that comes in. Um, I've heard other names thrown out, but we just don't know. And we won't know until we get into heaven. Now, when we get to heaven, we'll find out, you know, who it was, you know, we'll find out who it was. And He's not there to trip Jesus up. And I th- and that's why I think a lot of it, why they attribute it to Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus was starting to really defend Jesus in that time. You know, and he was starting to kind of 
come out more and, and defend Jesus, which, you know, was putting his, his reputation on the line. And so we know this, this leader comes up, this teacher of the law. You know, he's hearing the religious leaders doing, you know, what they can to trip him up. And he just asks this simple question of, you know, of all the commandments, which is the most important. He goes to the source, which is the commandments. You know, what they they were basing everything off of was the commandments. And Jesus gives this, you know, he, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And, you know, going back to the Ten Commandments, you know, when you look at the Ten Commandments, there's, I can't remember how many of them, but several of the commandments You know, they deal with our relationship with the Lord. And then the rest of them deal with our relationship, how we interact with others. Neighbor is not just the person that's living next door to you or across the street or behind or on across from the alley. You know, it's how we react. And... Paul, the Apostle Paul says love ends up later, you know, saying love fulfills the law, which God is love. God fulfills the law. And so when we love God and and then we love our neighbor in return, those are the greatest commandments that fulfill. Loving our neighbor is not stealing from them. It's not coveting from them. You know, when you love your neighbor, you're not going to murder them. When you love, have compassion on people, you're not going to backstab them. You know, when you love your spouse, you know, you're not going to allow jealousy to take over, you know. So you're going to be their biggest cheerleader. So, you know, Jesus sums up the commandments Pretty much as saying, love the Lord your God, you know, and then love your neighbor, you know, and, and because God is love, God fulfilled, you know, love fulfilled the law. Love is greater than the law. And so, um, you know, that ends up happening and we see the teacher's reaction that you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus says, you know, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Because what ends up happening, you guys, as, as you read this, in essence, he's pretty much saying, you know, it's, it's greater than any burnt offering. I think this man knew, and I think he was starting to see who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah. I think he started seeing things that were, you know, the law differently. And he was probably starting to see what 
what Jesus was talking about. He probably saw him as the Messiah. And that, you know, when you think about it, he was not far from the kingdom because, yes, Jesus had to die on the cross. And once he died on the cross, that man could ask for repentance and be right there in the kingdom. He was not that far because he knew, you know, about relationship. It was religion versus relationship. And this this teacher of the law was choosing relationship over religion. And so, and that's how we should be, you know. It's all about relationship with God, you know, and, and, and there's so many different types of religions out there that it's all work-based and it just puts the yoke back on that Jesus took off. You know, we should be wearing Jesus's yoke, which is light, you know, there's no burden to it, you know. So then Jesus, he, he, he asked them this question. He, the tables turn because yeah, they don't ask any questions. So the tables turn and Jesus poses a question to the Pharisees, you know, whose son is the Christ? In another way, whose son is the Messiah? You know, and their answer was correct. The son of David, you know, that the Messiah had to come through the line of David but then, you know, Jesus, he, he points out that D- David called the Messiah Lord. And it comes from Psalm 110, verse 1. Now, back then, they didn't have, you know, chapter and verse. Those came later. But he pointed back to the Psalms. And... And in, in, in essence, it was, you know, if David called the Messiah Lord, how could he be David's son? You know, there was a question mark. So as a son, you know, Jesus would be a man of the flesh. But as Lord, the Messiah, he would be divine. Which, you know, Jesus, we believe, you know, he was 100% divine and 100% man. That's what we believe. It doesn't seem right, percentage-wise, but it is. 100% man, 100% divine. And this is where they realize that they're not able to entrap him because he was answering with both wisdom and knowledge. And it was coming from the Lord. And then Mark, he, he sums up because in, in the book of Matthew, Jesus has, in which we went over in, in past podcasts, where he rebukes the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. Now, Mark was focusing on Gentile believers, Roman, mainly, or mainly the Romans, but he was focusing on the Gentiles So he just sums up what Jesus, you know, talks about because it is important that they were to watch that because in the church, and we'll see this in in the early church, that there was, even with the Gentiles, that they were coming and trying to put this yoke on them. And 
you know, the, those with a religious spirit were trying to put a yoke on them. And actually, if you want to read, you know, look at, at the book of Galatians. You know, that's a huge written letter written by Paul, you know, talking about, you know, that we're, our, our belief is in Jesus. Our faith is in Jesus. You know, it's not by acts, you know, it's not by works. And it's a huge thing. And so that's a real big, big key um, book to study as well is the book of Galatians and, and all of them, you know, they do address a lot of things. Um, because each, each of the letters to these churches, you know, Paul was very specific. The Holy Spirit was really specific with each one. And when you actually look in, in history with each church where, where they were from, it was like, oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit was really working on these people because of the situations they were in, you know, like Philippians, it's dealing with the humility. And when you look at the, the ruins of, of Philippi, they were focused on honor and glory and, you know, to themselves. And Paul writes a, a letter to the Philippi, you know, the book of Philippians that we have now talking about humility so you know further on so going on he you know he in Jesus you know he's talking about giving this warning about the teachers of the law that they're rebuking you know he turns around and rebukes them at the end you know for for their for their hearts you know, that on the outside they were religious, but on the inside their hearts were hardened and wasn't even close to God. And so he's rebuking them. And then finally we're going to end with the widow's offering. And I really never looked at this in a way, but it was like the widow's offering was interesting because I actually listened to this evangelist um, down in Laramie. He was talking about the widow's offering. And he was, he actually like did this kind of role playing. And it was hilarious because when you think about it, it was like, okay, yes. You know, we really don't think about it. Jesus wasn't just, you know, he didn't just show up, you know, nonchalantly. No, he's sitting there and he's watching these people put in their offerings in in the temple treasury he's just watching them and then you know this widow this poor widow think about this in this time they don't have very much because in that time you know if the bread maker dies you you're poor so for them to put in and it's called the widow's might so for her to put in these two very small copper coins, it was all that she had. You know, it could have bought probably a meal for her to survive. Compared to the rich people, they were just throwing in, you know, to show off. But she put in everything she had to offer. And... We see Jesus, you know, he's calling his disciples. And I think he was like, it was like, 
you know, so excited, like, come here, come here, you know, and pointing. And he says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put everything, all she had to live on. And that's sometimes, you know, as believers, you know, and I see it, you know, there are believers that just flaunt, you know, giving. And some believers, it's just like they give what they have, you know, which is their heart. They give their heart. And I love, I especially love like brand new believers because they're giving God everything. And there's such an excitement to them. And it's like, I love watching them, brand new believers, because it, it's so exciting to watch them give everything. And it just seems like, and I think, you know, as, as seasoned believers, we should still have that kind of same attitude about just giving everything, you know, just from the heart, you know. Not because that we have all this Bible knowledge or or you know, we do have, you know, a good job and, and there's nothing wrong when you're paying tithe, you know, and you're also giving to missions because the Lord called, you know, if you're doing that for, then, you know, because the Lord's telling you to do it, then, you know, you're doing it with a joyful heart. That's, that's, the Lord's going to honor that. It's more about doing it from the heart and allowing the Lord, Lord just to move. And so that's pretty much it that I wanted to talk about today. And um, so for the next uh, podcast, we're going to read Numbers chapter 17, verse 1 through chapter 19, verse 22. And then we're going to read Psalm 36, verses 16 through 22. Um Proverbs 6 verses 24 through 25 and then Mark chapter 13 verse 1 through 37. And so I'm just going to end in a prayer and I just want to say thank you Lord Jesus for your love Lord and that Lord let our hearts just be open to you God and allow you to move. Lord let our hearts not be hardened let our lives not be filled with just tradition, Lord. I just pray that our lives would just be filled with relationship, wanting to know you, reading your word in anticipation and excitement. Lord, I just pray that you would just begin to move in our hearts in so many ways, Lord God. And Lord, I just pray that we would just give all of our heart, all of our soul and mind to you, Lord God, that we would be totally surrendered to you, God. And that, Lord, we just give you the glory, we give you the honor, Lord, and we just thank you for all that you do and continue to do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a great day, you guys. Mm-hmm.